Well, again, we've been talking so much over the last several months about the anointing, and um, unless something changes, I feel like this is probably going to be our last week discussing this specifically. There's some other things the Lord's begun to stir in our hearts that we want to get into as we wrap up the year and get going into the next one. But um, I do want to I do want to add what I think is the final layer for us. This is not certainly not everything there is to say or to know about the anointing. There's so much more, uh, but uh, it has dramatically, like I said a moment ago, impacted my own life to the point now where I'm just unwilling to live life without it, unwilling to preach, unwilling to parent, unwilling to lead, unwilling to do anything in this life without the anointing to do it. And we've covered so much ground over the last several months about the anointing, the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. Folks, that's what we need to be after. As we feed on the word, as we're in services together, that's what we desire. We can experience a lot of things, but sadly, a lot of things come short and fail to actually remove a burden or destroy a yoke. But that's what I want happening in our times together, in our services as Sarah and I travel and minister in different places across the United States, around the world. This is what we're looking for. We're looking for people to come in contact with the anointing with that burden removing and yoke destroying power because that's the state that's the state mankind was in before Jesus came that's why he said the spirit's on me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor mankind as a whole was poor to heal the brokenhearted mankind as a whole was broken hearted and until Jesus came and until we had contact and an encounter with the anointing, that's the condition we were in. And sadly, that's the condition a lot of people are still in and will remain in unless and until they meet Jesus. Because when they meet Jesus, they'll find out that he was and is still anointed to lift the burden and destroy the yoke in their lives. We've talked so much about the transforming power of the anointing. Remember we talked about Saul. It seems like this keeps coming up month after month. The anointing that came on Saul from Samuel when God anointed him to be the first king of Israel. How it, it literally turned him into another person. And that's what Samuel said. He said, now that you're anointed, uh, the spirit of God's going to come on you and you will be turned into another man. That's what the anointing does. That's what it did for him. He was a shy, insecure individual who came face to face with the call of God on his life. And his response was, who am I? Who am I? He called himself the least, the least in the nation of Israel, the smallest of the tribe of Benjamin. He said his family was the smallest of that tribe. I'm small, I'm insignificant. Why are you talking to me like I'm somebody important? Who am I? That's the wrong question. Because when you get stuck asking the question, who am I? Yeah, God, I see what you've called me to. I hear what you're telling me to do, but who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Wrong question. You need to be asking something else. Who are you, Lord, and who am I in you? That's the question you need to be asking and answering. And the anointing of God is present on you to turn you into whatever it is he's called you to be. And that's one of the reasons this has been so significant to me and to Sarah, to our staff and this ministry as we've jumped into this study. is because right now we are before the Lord going, Father, what do you call us? What office do we stand in? What are we anointed to do? I know we've been doing it for a number of years now, but something's coming, something's next. What is it, Lord? What is it? Where are we going? And I finally came to the place where I realized the other day, Jeremy, you can relax because whatever it is and wherever it is, 
You can rest in the Lord knowing that the anointing to do that will turn you into that. Whatever office it is I'm called to stand in, whatever thing it is that you're called and anointed to fulfill in this life, you don't have to freak out about it. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be nervous. Because the moment you start taking steps towards that, you can rest in knowing that the anointing to be that will turn you into that. Are you with me? That's this power we're talking about. We've talked about how the the anointing doesn't just turn you into another person, but it's there to strengthen you. Ask Samson. There is no reference in Scripture to his physical strength, to his physical stature. All we know about him is that five times or more in his life, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily on him and he kicked some Philistine booty in in a very big way. Well, we get this picture in our heads of some guy that's really, you know, really physically fit. I don't care how physically strong you are. You don't kill a thousand guys without the anointing on you. The anointing strengthens. The anointing enables. The anointing transforms. We talked about the anointing that brings joy. You remember that several months ago? That essential oil of joy? That's what the anointing is. It's the oil of joy. And how the 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 power of joy and hope working together, how hope is expectation. And even in the middle of hell on earth, if you are confident in heaven, hope, the expectation of heaven, has the ability to reach into that dimension and bring joy into this one. That's powerful. That's the anointing. We talked a moment ago about the anointing to prosper. Tonight, I want to talk about the anointed word. Go to the book of Romans with me. Chapter 10, the anointed word. Let's read several verses here. Some of these I know you've heard before, but take a look at them again. In Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 11, it says, The scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich. I like that word. The same Lord over all is rich. He's what? Rich. It's a Bible word. He's rich to all who call upon him. In other words, there is enough Jesus to go around. He is rich to all who call on him. And he says here, there's no distinction between Jew, between Greek. There's no distinction in races. There's no distinction in gender. Anybody who will call on Jesus, he will be rich to them. You cannot deplete him of his rich goodness. You can't deplete him of his rich mercy. The Bible says he's rich in mercy. That means there's a lot of it and more where that came from. He's rich to all who call on him. Verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then, he's going to ask several questions here. Let's answer them. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? See, believing is simply a response. If you believe something or someone, then what you're saying is, I hear what you're saying and I agree with it or I see what you're saying as the the evidence that I require for me to put belief in it. Belief is just a response. 
But what he's saying here is how are they going to call on somebody if they don't even believe he's there? You're not going to call in faith on a God that you don't believe is there. So the question is, how can they call on him in whom they haven't believed? And the answer is they're not going to. They can't. How will they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Again, believing is just a response. It's a response to what you've heard. And if you haven't heard, then you can't believe. How are they going to believe in him of whom they have not heard? Like this, how shall they hear without a what? Preacher. How are they going to hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? So what he's doing here is he's starting at the end and backing up. The end result that we're looking for, that we want, is people calling on Jesus. Is that right? Can we come into agreement that that is the objective? That's the objective of ministry. That's the objective as a Christian who's got a witness. Your, you want your life to produce something that so impacts somebody else that they call on the same Jesus that you call on. That's the desired end result, is that somebody calls on him. Now, he's talking about it here, and we use this whole context as salvation. Believe in your heart confess with your mouth, you will be saved. But there's nothing in here that communicates to us that this is a one and done prayer. Yes, it is how you're saved, but the same faith that you're saved by is faith that he expects you to live by. So calling on Jesus for our salvation was not that one thing you did a long time ago. That's that one thing you and I are supposed to be doing every day of our lives, calling on him for that saving grace, that saving power. So the end result is that we want people calling on him. Okay, we'll back it up from there. They're not going to call on him unless they believe. Okay, we'll back it up again. They're not going to believe what? Unless they've heard. Okay, we'll back it up another step. They're not going to hear unless somebody preaches. And how should they preach? He said, unless they're sent. Now listen to this from verse 17. So then... Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The context of this verse that we as faith people so love. I mean, our faith gun has always got this bullet in it right here. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How does faith come? It comes by hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the word of God. I mean, that's just one we know. But if you've got kids, you've, you've experienced this before, walking through a store with them and they pull something off a shelf that if they break it, you buy it. So what do you say as a parent? Put that back where you found it, right? Well, sometimes I hear the Spirit of God say the same thing to me, especially with these scriptures that we have taken and just they stand on their own and we forget what context they came out of. And I hear the Spirit of the Lord say the same thing to me that I've said to my kids. Jeremy, go put that back where you found it. Put that verse back. You want to you really know what it said? Go put it back where you found it. So put this. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Put that back where you found it. And what he's saying here is that faith does come, but it comes by hearing. And what's he talking about hearing? How can they hear unless somebody preaches? So what he's saying is faith comes by hearing and hearing somebody preach the word of God. 
One of my favorite things in this entire world is good preaching. Good preaching. I grew up on good preaching. And as a preacher, I have a certain admiration and a love for good preaching. And you know, you've sat under it before. You've listened to preaching that's good and you've listened to other stuff too, right? (laughs) And you know, you know when something hits you, don't you? You know when something you've read a thousand times before, when somebody, check this out, under the anointing, preaches a word that is anointed. And it hits you in a way and you look up and you think, where has that been? I've seen this, I've read this, but here's what happened. That anointed word touched your heart. And when it touched your heart, it changed your mind. And when it changed your mind, it affected your life and changed the way you live. That's the progression of an anointed word. It first touches the heart, it then renews the mind, which then corrects, directs, instructs the course of your life. So when I say I love good preaching, what I mean is I love preaching that's got the anointing on it. And we've all experienced that. And that's really what the scripture's talking about. Put this up for me, guys, in, that, in the Amplified Bible, if you have that. Romans 10, 17. In the Amplified, I've got it here too as well. I had it. Well, there it is. Okay, Romans 10, 17. Take a look at this. This is the Amplified Bible. So faith comes by hearing what is told. So there again, there again, you see it, the preaching of it, right? That's what this is a reference to. Faith comes by hearing what is told and what is heard comes by the what? The preaching. preaching. Now you guys going to help me preach this tonight? I love it when people will actually get involved with you and help you preach it. That's one of those things people say, an excited group of people. Some people shout amen. Some people say that's good. You want to know all the ones I like? Preach. Preach it, preacher. Preach. So if anything at any point tonight, you know, strikes your fancy, just get it out a good preach. Preach that. Say that. Preach it. Because this is what we're talking about tonight. Anointed preaching. Faith comes by hearing what is told and what is heard comes by the preaching, but not just any preaching. Preaching of the message. Watch this. Preaching of the message that came from the lips of Christ. Help me out. What's Christ? What does that mean? We've talked about it. The anointed. The anointed one. His anointing. We're talking about the preaching, the message that came from the lips. Out of the mouth of Jesus. How many of you would agree that the anointed one preached an anointed word? I don't think we really can fathom what it would have been like to sit there under that preaching because Jesus preached and to the thousands he preached to, not one of them were born again. Not a single one of them were filled with the Holy Ghost. But imagine you and I now born again and full of the same spirit that's preaching. Can you imagine what that environment and that atmosphere would have been like? Put that up there again. I want you to see this. 
How does faith come? It comes by hearing what is told. What is heard comes by the preaching, but specifically the preaching of the message that came from the lips of Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah himself. I love anointed preaching. You know, we live right now, I think, in a culture that's more, uh, we've got more, what are they called, dietary restrictions now, I think, than ever before. New ones exist that I think have never existed before. I heard one comedian, Christian guy, one time talking about, he said, you know, it's crazy all the dietary restrictions we have here because when I go on the mission field, and I'm handing out peanut butter sandwiches to little kids in Africa. Not one of them say, I have a peanut allergy. Not one of them, you know, and I'm not knocking that. I realize people have it for sure. But what, are a, what is a dietary restriction? It's something that you either stay away from or something that you eat just based on how it affects you based on how your body processes it, based on how you feel after you have it. And a lot of people have varying degrees of dietary restrictions. Well, let me tell you something. When it comes to what you feed on spiritually, you and I ought to have some pretty major and very strict dietary restrictions. In other words, thank you, sir. In other words, you ought not just feed on every old thing. And there are people with such physical dietary restrictions, a lot of it is because they can't eat what food has become, right? There are foods now on the shelves of our grocery stores that didn't exist 100 years ago. Why? Because nobody had the technology to scientifically and genetically modify something to the point where it tastes good, but it's not food. And now our grocery stores are full of that stuff. Genetically modified food, genetically engineered. It's not food. And there are a lot of people and their bodies can't process it. Their bodies can't handle it. Maybe they think they can, but it's causing all sorts of stuff. It tastes good, and that's why they like it. But you and I have no business feeding on a genetically modified gospel. We have no business feeding on something that isn't pure, that isn't true, that isn't right, that isn't real. How does faith come? Well, it comes by hearing, hearing by the word. Put it back where you found it. It comes, it comes through anointed preaching, but the word you're supposed to be feeding on has got to be rich in faith content. It's got to be nutrient rich in the love of God, in the grace of God, but more important than anything else, the word you feed on, your spiritual diet has got to be a word that preaches Jesus more than anything. What is a word that preaches Jesus? Well, you see here, it's the message that came from his lips. It's what he preached, but it's not just what he preached. It's any message that points back to him. It's any message that magnifies him. It's anything that exalts him. That's an anointed word. And that's a word that will bring faith. That's a word that stirs faith. Somebody say preach. preach. 
go to the book of Luke chapter 4. Wouldn't it stand to reason that if a word can be anointed, then you can have a word that's not? We're going to see this in a moment, but the, everything we've talked about the anointing and what it has the ability to do, an anointed word is what has the ability to do that. Well, let's just look at it. Let's, let's see it in the life of Jesus. Luke chapter four, this has been our text this entire series. But I want to back up tonight to verse 16. And it says, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. That's an important detail for what we're about to see. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. In other words, he knows these people and they know him. And not only do they know him now, but they knew him back when. And there's a bunch of people in this town that probably still see him as that kid, that teenager, that young person. He came back to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20 says, he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, I want you to notice the response of the people. We've talked a lot about what he said here, but we really haven't gotten into their response to it because he stands up and reads. This is just scripture. This isn't something Jesus is uh, making up on the spot. This isn't Jesus preaching or expounding on something. He's just reading scripture. And it's probably scripture that these people were already familiar with because they know that this is the prophet Isaiah speaking prophetically as the Christ, the anointed one. And so all Jesus is doing is reading scripture. That's it. Do you see that? Can we agree on that? That's all he did was stand up and read something they'd probably heard before. But notice what happened. He said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Verse 22, so all bore witness to him and marveled. What'd they marvel at? At the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Check this out. This is the Passion Translation. Everyone was impressed. That's what that word marvel means. It means they admired him. They were all impressed by how well Jesus spoke. Hmm. They were in awe of the beautiful words of grace that came from his lips. Now, what did we just read in Romans chapter 10? Faith comes by hearing what is told and what is heard. It comes from the preaching of the message that comes from the lips of Christ, the anointed. They were in awe of the beautiful words of grace that came from his lips. But then they said this, 
And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Now, I want you to notice what just happened here. All he did was read scripture, right? We agreed on that. And it was scripture they've heard before. But this day, there was something else on it. There was something else in it. What was it? It was the anointing. These words, though they'd heard them before, all of the sudden were so satiated and saturated in the grace of God that it just wowed all these people. They marveled at it. They admired him. How well he spoke. All he did was read a scripture. That's it. And they were amazed. But then they said this. Is this not Joseph's son? Is this not Joseph's son? So we've established this. A word can be anointed. But if a word can be, then evidently a word can also not be anointed. So what is it that makes a word an anointed word? Well, it's simple. Where does it come from? What's the origin? That's the word the Lord gave me today in praying about this. The origin. Where did the word originate? Where did it come from? If you can ask and answer that question, where did this word come from? Then you'll know whether or not it's anointed. Now we know right now that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the anointed word that came from the lips of Christ. The message that came from his mouth. What was that message? Well, we just read it in verse 18. I'm here to preach. What do you say? Preach. The anointing's on me to preach. Actually, guys, do this for me. Put, put up verse 18. I moved too quickly. Put up verse 18 in the King James Bible. Do you have King James back there? I want you to see something. Anybody have a King James on them? Nobody uses King James anymore. There it is right there. The Spirit, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach. And every time you see this word preach, I want you to say it out loud with me. Because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Go on. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Or in other words, to preach recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. Next verse. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The anointing is on Jesus to do what? Preach. That's what the anointing was on him to do. Now we think so much about the miracles, don't we? We look back and we think across his life and ministry and we think about those miracles. We think about the, the blind eyes open. We think about the lame legs that were made to walk. We think about the dead that were raised. But listen to me, every miracle began as a message. Every miracle began first as an anointed word. He sent me to preach the gospel to the poor to preach recovery of sight, to preach liberty, to preach you're accepted. This is a message that he is anointed to proclaim, to give voice to. So the question, the answer to the question is, you know, how do we decide if this is an anointed word or not? Where does it come from? What's the origin? And the reason I bring this up is because these people heard him speak, but their first question is, isn't he Joseph's son? Or in other words, we know that he's from down the street, but those words sound like they're from somewhere else. 
You hear me? They're confused here because he's from like, like around the corner. We know where you're from, but those words are different. There's something else about those words. Those words sound like they're coming from somewhere else. And they marveled at it. They said, this is beautiful. This is gracious. But, but it all turned here in a second. Verse 23, he said to the crowd, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do here also in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. In verse 28, all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built. that They might throw him off down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of him, he went his way. I mean, Jesus is starting riot or revival everywhere he goes, but it's all because of anointed word. What he said to them about, about what God did, not for the nation of Israel, but for other people, that was just as anointed as the Spirit of the Lord's on me to preach. But listen to this, verse 31. He went down to Capernaum, so another city. It's the city of Galilee and was teaching them on the Sabbath. In verse 32, it says, they were astonished at his teaching for his, what? Word was with authority. They were astonished, the Bible says, at his teaching. Now, this is not the same thing as marveled. Marvel just means they were impressed. But this word, you look it up and it literally means to be struck. Have you ever heard the expression to be struck with amazement? That's this word right here. To be struck, to be impacted by what was said. And what, what so stood out to them was that his word was with authority. Authority. Now, authority is power resulting from position. Authority is a place. It's a position. And these people were astounded because his words came from a different place. They'd never heard words that had come from this place before. Remember, what determines whether or not a word's anointed? The origin. Where did it come from? And they had never heard words that had come from whatever place these words are coming from. They're coming for the first time ever from a place of authority. This is going to be demonstrated in verse 33. In the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out, with a loud voice. So now you got two voices. You got Jesus preaching and proclaiming, but now on the other hand, you got this demon possessed man and he cries out with a loud voice. This, this is interesting. This word uh, loud voice in the Greek, you know what it is? Megaphone. <laughs> megaphone. That's where we get this loud voice, megaphone. What's that mean? This voice is coming from somewhere else. This voice is coming from another place. 
When it says he cried out, you look that up and it literally translates to a sound coming from the back of the throat. I don't want to try to imitate it right now. <laughs> and it's, but it's not just human. It's coming from somewhere else. This is megaphone. This is a megaphone on this thing. This guy is amplified without any means of technology or natural amplification. This voice is coming from somewhere else. So now everybody in this synagogue and everybody witnessing it is just like me and you living today. We are in the middle of a war of words. There is a war between words happening right here because Jesus' voice is coming from somewhere else. And now this demon's voice is coming from somewhere else. And he said in verse 34, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, can you imagine this whole thing playing out? How intimidating this would have been to be in the presence of this thing. But Jesus, he speaks to it. In verse 35, rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. Now that is a very different response to, oh my God, what is that? <laughs> Holy Lord, did you hear that thing? That's freaking me out. What is that? Oh my gosh. That scares the daylights out of me. That's a very different response, isn't it? Somebody who talks like that, you are giving authority to that voice. Whatever you worship, whatever you stand in awe of, you give place to. You give a place of authority. Which is why Jesus responded to it, not in not in a way of service to it, but in a way that it must serve him. That's authority. That's a higher place. And he gave this thing the command. Two things, be quiet, come out. That's what I love about authority. That's what I love about an anointed word. It doesn't take a lot of them. We've gotten so into the habit of feeling like we got to talk, 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 talk. And pray hard, pray hard, pray hard, pray hard. And confess, 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 confess. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? But an anointed word. An anointed, one anointed word. Succinct, simple. But it depends on where it came from. If it's coming out of you and from you, yeah, it's going to take a bunch of words. But if it came from the throne of God, if it came out of the heart of God, all it takes is be quiet, come out. And this thing is coming from such a place of authority that whatever this is and wherever it's coming from has to bow its knee and serve this higher voice. Amen? How, how do you know when you're hearing the word preached and it's affecting you like that, it's touching the heart, it's changing the mind, it's affecting the life. Well, you know, when that's happening, you're sitting there, you know right away, this didn't come out of that guy's brain. This didn't come out of some preacher's head. You know, if it's doing all that, then what he or she is saying originated somewhere else. And they just got to get in on it. 
they just got, the Lord just used this person to say something that hit the heart, changed your mind, affected the way you live. It depends on where it comes from. So he said to him, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. And they were all amazed and spoke among themselves saying, what a word this is. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Now, this is the verse we talked about last month. You remember when this happened? To me, that, that response is amazing. When people see this miracle take place right there in front of them, immediately the thing that, that so impresses them is not that this guy was demon-possessed and now he's not. It's that how it all happened. The thing that they were so astonished and so amazed by was not just that it happened, but the means by which it happened. How did this happen? And they've said it. What a word this is. And without even realizing, what were they saying? What an anointed word this is. The power to turn you into another man. This dude just went from demon-possessed to not demon-possessed. What does that? The anointing. That's right, everybody. It's the anointing. What transforms somebody like that? It's the anointing. And they stood back and they said, what a word this is. And then they said it again, for with authority, it's coming from somewhere else. This is coming from a different place, a different position, a higher place and power, they said. So both of these words, authority, exousia, uh, that's the Greek word, the, the word power, uh, 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 dynamis, dy whatever it is, I don't speak it, but it's these two words for power, one coming from the place and one coming from the actual power that does the work. And all of that was in the word, the preached word. I love good preaching. Now you understand what I mean by that. And this is what happened in their midst that day. But what they did right away back in Jesus' hometown was to question the origin. Aren't you Joseph's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? Your words sound like they're from somewhere else, but don't we know you? And you've got to be watchful over arriving at a place where you're so familiar with the person who's doing the preaching that you can't appreciate or value that, yeah, you may know them, but those words are from somewhere else. That's why we talked all those months ago about valuing the anointing. The anointing is worth protection. The anointing, it's not just, you shouldn't just protect it, but you should come to the place where you expect it. Learn to respect it even in the lives of the people around you. Yes, of course, expect and respect the anointing on the lives of those who minister the word of God to you. Absolutely, absolutely respect that anointing. But husbands, listen to me. Our wives are anointed. Our wives are anointed. They are anointed. Somebody should have said preach. I should have heard about 18 ladies say preach. They're anointed. And there have been times more than I could count that Sarah and I have been in conversation and I could feel the shift. And all of a sudden, this is not her speaking to me anymore. This is coming from another place. 
And major life direction for us has come from there. Major course correction and direction for our ministry has come from there. But if I don't have a value for that, I don't have an expectation of it, or I don't have a respecting of it for some foolish reason because she's a woman, then I'll never benefit from it. Never. But if I will live with her and come to inspect for the anointing, expect the anointing, respect the anointing that's on her, and then protect the anointing that's on her, then I'll receive from it. I'll benefit from it. Ladies, listen to me. As husbands, there is an anointing on us and available to us to be the head of the home. And that word just literally means to be, to be the one that brings stability. There's an anointing on us to hear from heaven concerning the direction of our homes, our family, our children, where we're supposed to be doing our life, how we're supposed to be doing life. Ladies, listen, there is an anointing on your husband, but you will never receive from it. You'll never benefit from it. It'll never do anything for you without first inspecting for it. Look for it. We could use some help finding it. Help us look for it. That's what inspect means, to look closely. And then expect it. That's faith. That's faith. You know you have the ability to draw up and out of us things that we did not even know were in here. Women, you are powerful creations. <laughs> you have the ability. But you do that through the expectation. Not an unreasonable expectation of performance and, and, and doing everything right all the time. That's not going to happen. But an expectation of the anointing that's on us. There's an anointing. Expect it. And then help us protect it. That anointing is worth protecting at all costs. Help us to not leave that, that anointing exposed to being stolen. How do you lose it? You lose it through pride. How do you keep it? You keep it through humility. The anointing is worth inspecting, looking for, expecting, respecting, and protecting. Amen. There are anointed words that don't just come preaching from the pulpit, but they come in the living room. They come riding in the car. They come laying in bed late at night, talking and dreaming about the future. Listen for them. Anointed words. Thank you, Lord. Is this helping anybody tonight? Jesus was anointed to preach. We're anointed with that same anointing. What word is this? They said. You know, um, again, I, I feel like my kids are, they're my constant go-to illustration. They're my constant uh, example. And I just feel like I've learned so much about the Lord in and through them. And, and if you've got kids or been around kids or had a conversation with a kid, ever were one, I feel like that covers pretty much everybody in the room, then you have probably been on one side or the other of what I call the but why conversation. Is anybody familiar with that conversation? Have you heard it before? Where as a parent, you give instruction or command to the child and they come back with what? But why? But why? 
Now listen, any parent wants their child to understand. Any dad, dads aren't raising, are interested in raising an idiot, you know? So you want them, you want, you don't want an idiot son. You want a son that gets it. You want a son that understands some things. And so when they come back at you with, but why, there is a tendency to say, because, because this is the reason. And then you say, okay, it's time to go get washed up, go get ready for dinner. But why? Well, mommy's worked hard to make a meal for us and it's, it's hot and it's ready. So just go ahead and do what I told you. But why? Well, we want to eat on time. We've got a lot to do still tonight. What are you doing? You're trying to help them understand. You're trying to help them process and grow and develop. But how many of you know, especially moms, you know that the more that but why conversation goes on, the, the closer you get to the answer that will end the conversation, which is what? Help me, ladies. Because I said so, right? And every child has heard it. Every parent has said it. That's when you get to the point in the conversation where it's like, I don't care if you understand. I don't care if you get it. I don't care if you can mentally process what it is I'm telling you to do right now. All you need to know is do it because I said it. What is that? That is revealing to them your position. This instruction is coming from another place. This instruction is coming from a higher place. And all you need to know is I said it. And that needs to end the conversation. Folks, we've got to get to that place much quicker with God. Because the more you press him and the more people press him, when he's outlined for them, do this, say this, this is what I've called you, this is what I've equipped you to do. And they just keep coming back with, but why, Lord? But why? But why? Help me understand why. I'll do that when you help me understand why. He's patient. He'll do what he can, but the more you press him on that, I'm telling you, you are coming to an end of the conversation where you hear your heavenly father say, do it because I said so. That's an anointed word. That's a word that reveals to you and to me this place and position of where his word is coming from. And the quicker you can get there, the better things will be for you. Matter of fact, if I'm going to call this message anything tonight, I call it because he said so. Do it because he said so. And not just do it because he said so, but also I am because he said so. I'm what? Whatever he calls me. Why? Because he said it and it's coming from a place that's not down here. It's a higher place of authority. It's an anointed word. I am called and anointed to preach because he called me a preacher. It's not a calling I gave myself. It's not a gift that that I give of myself. I'm fully aware that it's the anointing. I am fully dependent. Just as Jesus was on that anointing, so am I. So must you be. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. 
You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.